The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to this week's episode of Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know and Doesn't Have Time to Tell You. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults, from latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How are you, Lindsay? I'm great. Good. Welcome to another episode. It's a pretty nice winter day here today. We've got some snow. Got outside to do some cross-country skiing this morning, That's so it's nice. a good way to start the week. How about you? Oh, I have a sick kid at home, Aww. so... <laughs> that's less fun I'm it is although that. he's he's better now that good. he's been home <laughs> home has a way of healing doesn't right it? Uh-huh, uh-huh. i think he'll be okay good well what are we talking about today i think today we're going to talk about warning symptoms for heart attacks and strokes so we won't dig into the treatment or all of that but let's talk about what people should know that would be red flag symptoms telling them they need to go in Yep. And maybe we should start with just defining what's, let's start with heart attacks. So what is a heart attack? What happens? What's the process there? Most people have probably heard of atherosclerosis, which is, um, some people call it hardening of the arteries as a way to talk about it, but it's when calcium and plaques build up in our arteries and specific for heart attack, it's when they build up around the arteries that supply the heart with the heart muscle with blood and oxygen and nutrients. And obviously that's important because the heart has to be pumping constantly. And so if it's not getting adequate blood flow and adequate oxygen, the muscle is going to very quickly run into trouble. Right. And so that this plaque built up over time um, because of what we're eating and general life wear and tear, which we've talked about before, I guess. So lifestyle habits can play a part of that. Genetics can play a part in that. But what would you say is happening when a, when a heart attack occurs? So one of two things usually. One is that there's a plaque that's been sitting there um, causing a narrowing in the blood vessel. And when somebody is more active, the heart needs more blood flow and it's not able to get that because of the plaque that's already there kind of blocking it. The other common scenario is there's a plaque present and it starts to break off or does break off and blocks the blood flow distal or beyond where the plaque is at. And that also causes very quick damage to the heart muscle. What would you say people experience um, when this happens? Yeah, so common things that hopefully most people have heard about would be chest pain, usually in the middle of the chest or chest pressure. Some people describe it as an elephant sitting on their chest. Um, those, those would be the kind of common typical presentation. Um, there are other symptoms too. Sometimes that pain in the chest will spread up the neck to the jaw. Sometimes it will go to the left arm and down the arm. Um, that can be associated with sweating, with shortness of breath, uh, sometimes feeling lightheaded or even like someone's going to pass out. Right. So I think those are typical Mm -hmm. symptoms. Yep. And then we often have kind of atypical symptoms that I think we say more often women have atypical symptoms. Generally, they get more of the nausea mm-hmm. or kind of GI kind of symptoms along with the sweating and shortness of breath um, and maybe a little chest pressure. But I think 
nausea you often hear of as a more prominent feature. Yep. And I would say for women too, more of the neck and jaw pain, but not usually so much of the left arm pain. And that's, again, these are general statements here, not always, but yeah, I would say women tend to get less typical symptoms. People with other chronic conditions can also have less typical symptoms. So people who are diabetic and maybe have some nerve damage don't necessarily get severe crushing chest pain or that elephant sitting on the chest. Um, But like you said, they might feel sweaty or more short of breath or like they're going to pass out without the chest pain. And I think typically, you know, a heart attack you, you can have no, I guess, symptoms leading prodromal or symptoms leading up to that event. It can be, you can be perfectly healthy, exercising just fine the day before, and then, you know, all of a sudden that plaque ruptures and all the, you know, things that clot blood go to that spot and you have an acute blockage and, and you have the acute heart attack. But I think sometimes there's probably symptoms leading up to things where that narrowing is occurring and and if you were really tuned in to your body, it might be a signal to you to maybe go get um, evaluated prior to that acute heart attack. So we can't always prevent a heart attack, but... But I think sometimes there's probably symptoms that if you look back, you'd say, yes, that was happening to me. But I was making I said, oh, that's just me being tired today or whatever. What would some of those symptoms maybe be? Yeah. So I had a patient not so long ago who was a female patient who uh, when she went out in the winter told me, you know, I just I have to wear something over my face because my neck gets really painful or cold. And she just every time I'm outside, I have to cover my face. And it didn't sound like it was. Um, trouble breathing because of the cold. It it sounded like some compromise to the heart, oddly enough. It was not a typical symptom, but again, she was female. Every time she went, it was very consistent. She had to either cover her face or had to go back inside. And obviously we see this more in cold because cold air constricts blood vessels. And so when those already narrow blood vessels constrict, that reduces blood flow to the heart. So fortunately for this patient, she did come in and talked about it and we evaluated it and she was able to have treatment before she had a heart attack, which was wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, important to, to check it out. How about you? Do you- People have described um, where they have less exercise tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, six months ago, they could, um, you know, do a mile in 10 minutes and their usual route was to walk their two miles in about 20 minutes or whatever it was. She was slowly noticing that she couldn't make that distance anymore in that time frame um, on her walk. And she wasn't necessarily you know, getting out of breath or chest pain or jaw pain or anything. She just couldn't make it as quickly around. And so when she she brought that to my attention at, you know, just a regular checkup and and we thought we better look, you know, into it a little bit more. Yeah. And I would say I've had several patients with that scenario as well, where no chest pain, just a change in their ability to exercise. And fortunately, if they come in, we can check that out and usually treat before there's a big issue. Always be aware uh, of your activity. And and if I think sometimes we can have bad days where it's like today, I couldn't do it. But if that's a persistent thing um, that didn't last just a week when you had a, you know, virus or you were extra tired or extra stressed and you you weren't quite up to it but it was lasting a bit longer I think it's important to to note that in and to tell somebody yeah and similarly if it's getting worse over time of course that's a sign that we need to check it out too the good thing is like like Lindsay said if we do check it out many of these blockages can be treated with stents before there's actual 
chronic permanent damage to the heart muscle and so that can prevent long-term complications so it's better to be a little in tune with your body um, and pay attention to those warning signs right i guess we probably didn't say back when we were describing um, a heart attack that when that muscle is deprived acutely of the oxygen at that time then it starts to die and and there comes the point when it's a true heart attack where some of that muscle is never viable again. There's, and then you have other problems based on that, right? So we, the goal is to try to get blood supply back before that heart muscle has died. Yeah, so time is of the essence. And if somebody's having, you know, major sudden onset of that chest tightness or jaw tightness and pain, that needs to be checked out very quickly because we can save heart muscle. Right. Is there anything people should do if they are having, besides coming in and getting checked out, anything else that you recommend to your patients when they're having acute, you know, sudden onset of these symptoms of shortness of breath with some chest tightness and pain? I think if you happen to, while calling 911 or getting your ride into um, a hospital, acute hospital setting, um, if you had access to, you know, an aspirin to chew that and, and swallow that, that's probably going to help. Yeah. Um, Improve blood flow a right. little bit. And yep. keep some of that muscle viable. Yep, yep. That's Which is advice. the first thing that probably the ambulance um, service is going to do. Exactly, exactly, yep. The sooner the better for that one. Right. I huh. think that covers the the heart issue pretty well. And I think um, certainly, you know, if our listeners, if you have questions or other thoughts or comments or you yourself have had experience with this that you would like to share, feel free to send us a message and we can dig more into that. <laughs> to strokes and stroke-like symptoms, but first let's talk about what is a stroke. So basically it's the same kind of pathology that is happening with the blood vessels around the brain instead of the heart for a stroke, right? So a stroke is lack of um, oxygen and blood supply to a particular part of the brain. And again, like a heart attack, time is of the essence when people are having symptoms because the earlier you can get evaluated and get treated, the more likely you are to save that brain tissue. The longer the brain tissue is lacking oxygen and lacking blood flow, the less likely it is that it can be fixed or salvaged. Right. And so there's many different types of strokes you can get. So there's strokes from what we call watershed areas where there's just a lower blood pressure or um, pressure to that area because it's it's a harder place to get blood, I would guess. So if you had low blood pressure or a little bit of, of hardening or narrowing of the arteries, then you can get um, issues there with just low blood pressure. Anything yeah. that would drop the blood pressure. Right. So a severe episode of dehydration or sometimes even with surgery, when people get anesthesia, the blood pressure drops quickly. So yeah. you, you just get don't get enough blood into those watershed areas. Another type would be um, embolic. So that would be you get a, a blood clot from somewhere else generally. Um, often it is the heart from being in a heart rhythm like atrial fibrillation. So a blood clot is formed and then it is pumped and the place that it ends up is in the brain and often. So And then that clot, so it doesn't leave the blood vessels, it just gets to the smallest point it can within the blood vessel and then blocks, blocks. blood from getting anywhere beyond that. You can get narrowing of more um, larger, like the carotid arteries. Um, there's 
the mm-hmm. vertebral uh, arteries are very important blood supply to the back side of the brain and they follow up along the vertebral bodies in your neck and sometimes um, getting acute adjustments in the neck can can shear those arteries or can block them off and can cause a stroke as well yeah so not a not a good thing um the there's also a hemorrhagic stroke which is when a small blood vessel usually small in the brain starts to bleed we're not so much focusing on that today because um treatment is different but that will cause many times similar symptoms. So that's where there's a bleed within the brain. Right. Why don't we often get um, different names to things? So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the difference between a TIA and a true stroke. Yeah, great. So a TIA is also known as a transient ischemic attack. So transient indicates that it's not permanent, not long-lasting. Some people call them mini-strokes. And what that is is a an episode of decreased blood flow to a part of the brain, not severe enough to cause permanent damage, but bad enough that people do have symptoms that they notice. And by definition, a TIA resolves, the symptoms resolve within 24 hours. Um, it's still important to get that evaluated in the, right. you know, in a very short time frame. And then a stroke is when that damage lasts more than 24 hours. Strokes may not always um, have permanence of the severe symptoms but often there will be some brain tissue that is damaged and that will usually cause some kind of lasting change or some kind of lasting deficit that people notice yeah right and so what are maybe the first symptoms that people should be aware of common symptoms that we see and these are ones that we talk about um or you've maybe seen public service addresses for are we use the acronym FAST to remind people that they need to be evaluated very quickly. So the F stands for facial drooping, and that will be one side of the face where if somebody smiles or talks, their face is not symmetric and one side just isn't moving like it should. A stands for arm weakness, so uh, weakness or numbness or tingling in an arm that is not getting better. Uh, S is for speech difficulty where you notice that they're words just sound slurred or they're not able to get the words out that they want to or they're misusing words and t is for time to call so that's that's one way to help remember those symptoms there are certainly more things that we should talk about when it comes to stroke symptoms i think other things that i think of uh would be drooling so people Mm -hmm. notice they're drooling or Sometimes it's kind of like a dizziness vertigo um, type of symptom if it's more cerebellar. Right. Um, So coordination problems. Quick onset Mm -hmm. where people are losing their balance or walking crookedly or not able to walk in a straight line or even falling to one side. Right. Um, And even though the acronym says arm weakness, leg weakness is also important and numbness along weakness or numbness along one side of the body would be concerning findings too. Similarly, Mm -hmm. facial numbness on one side of the face would be worrisome. Changes in someone's cognition where all of a sudden they forget how to use the phone that they've always been able to use or something uh, along those lines could also be an indicator. And certainly as soon as you realize something is happening, you do need to act fast there because um, again, we can do things to help Uh, prevent the loss of the brain tissue and to um, limit or minimize the symptoms that are chronic. 
Right. And the other thing, it's important to note when you are with somebody who you think may be having a stroke, is if you can figure out what time they were last known to be well. That's important because it helps guide treatment. So um, it's, it's good to know if you know when they were last well, if that was, you know, the night before when they were going to bed, if they awoke with symptoms or if it was just an hour ago, that's really important to make right. note of. And then if you can note the time that their symptoms started, that's also important. Um, these guide treatment again, because like Lindsay said, the goal is to save brain tissue. And sometimes we can go in and use medication that breaks down blood clots, but that can only be done if the start of symptoms was within a certain time frame. So if you're taking care of somebody or you're with somebody and you notice that, just try to pay attention to those things as you're calling 911. And no, nobody's ever going to fault you for going in for either symptoms of a heart attack or stroke um, and being wrong, right? I think you always have to err on the side of caution and go be evaluated. Absolutely. We're happy to say, no, everything's okay. And I should say, when I say we, I'm talking about the emergency room. Because usually, if my patients are having these symptoms, I don't want them to come right. to clinic. It's hard to evaluate people quickly enough. Right. in the clinic setting. If it's a heart attack, we want you in the ER. If it's a stroke, we want you in the ER. So there's fortunately set up really well to do you know, quick imaging if it's needed, to do EKGs right away, to call the specialists very quickly. And so if you are having those symptoms, the appropriate location for care is the emergency room. Right. As we're recording today, we wanted to just take a minute too to talk about the emerging Wuhan coronavirus that um, is circulating and has made a lot of news lately. Yes, I think uh, the biggest thing that we could say about it is probably that influenza is more a risk to you in and the if United you States. in the United yeah. States and if you have not gotten your flu shot that you should do so and protect yourself from that because it's a greater risk to your health than than this new virus. But uh, we can share a couple of things about this new virus and symptoms. Do you want to talk about some of the symptoms you might sure. expect? Yep. So, and again, most people are not going to have to worry about this. If you're traveling to China, you might want to rethink your plans right now or, um, you know, consider buying good quality face masks and wearing those, hand washing, of course, um, or, you know, just not traveling right now, but we don't have a lot of it in the United States. Right. When it does present, it looks like the common cold a lot of the time. So starting kind of with the aches, fevers, chills, cough. Um, I was just looking at a study that this is just kind of an observational study trying to characterize the virus and who it's affecting. And this is from the initial, initial outbreak in China. Um, and so the average age of people affected was 55 and a half years old. Uh, more more men were affected than women, so it looks like it's about two-thirds men, one-third women. Um, about half of those who have been affected had other chronic diseases. And then in terms of symptoms that people came in with, it was, um, you know, again, common things, cough, shortness of breath, fever, muscle aches, a small proportion had some confusion, similar proportion with some headaches, sore throat, uh, some people with GI symptoms, so nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. A few patients had chest pain. Um, and many of these people did develop pneumonia. Um, of those people, it did in about 10% um, of the people who developed pneumonia did develop pretty complicated disease that resulted in multi-organ failure. So obviously a concerning virus in people who it's affecting, but right now, 
It isn't widespread in the United States, and it certainly shouldn't be causing panic and alarm here. Um, but like Lindsay said, you know, just being careful about what you're doing. And I certainly would uh, listen to the CDC's recommendations and not traveling to China at this time. Yeah. And again, you know, getting that getting that flu shot, that's certainly a more pressing concern for us in the United States. If you haven't gotten it, it does take two weeks to fully develop those antibodies. So the sooner you can get it, the better. Uh, we know even in years when the match isn't good between the flu shot and the circulating virus, people still have lower mortality when they get the flu shot. So it is a good idea to get that flu shot. And we'll try to keep updating information if any other news comes out. Absolutely. Do you have any health pearls for us? Today, I think I would like to encourage everyone to either read the book or there's also a documentary on it on PBS. It's called Being Mortal by Atul Gawand. And he is a surgeon who has had personal experience with health issues in his family. And he talks about just thinking about the end of life and thinking about um, how people want to spend that time. And it's really very powerful and important for all of us to not only be thinking about, but to be talking about. Right. I think, um, like we've mentioned in, in prior podcasts, we have the ability to control some of the end of our lives. And so um, part of doing that is being informed about the ways that we can do harm in the medical field and ways that we can be helpful. And if you um, educate yourself by part of that is reading reading this book and becoming informed. I think you'll go in um, with a better plan for for the things that you would want or not want at the end of life. Yeah, and I think about um, especially like cancer treatment is a really good way to exemplify this. You know, sometimes um, treatment, cancer treatment can make people very sick and very ill and they spend a lot of time either in the hospital or at home isolated um, and that can be fine if their goals are to, you know, get through this and live live as long as possible. And, and obviously that's the goal of most people. But there also comes a point when your cancer doctor might say, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to beat this. And then it's important to think about how do you want to spend whatever time you have. And right. that could be, you know, months, it could be years, but it's really important to think about, do I want to go through treatment that's going to make me sick, probably feel much worse than I would if I weren't going through treatment, and how much time is that treatment actually buying? And so it's a, it's a hard conversation, but Dr. Gawand really addresses it very nicely um, and, and talks through this, and I, I think it's very powerful. Right. I agree. So definitely go uh, pick up the book yeah, and have a good read. We'll put the links for the book and the documentary on our website show notes so you can check that out. Well, thanks so much for listening today. We uh, appreciate your feedback and keep the comments and emails coming. We're happy to have them and to share any uh, follow-up questions or uh, discuss future topics as well. So you can email us at mail at everythingdoc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at EverythingDoc1 or on Facebook. And we, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, we are thrilled if you can share it with family and friends. It also helps us if you can go on to wherever you listen to your podcasts and write us a review. That enables other people to find us as well. So we appreciate that. And um, knowing you know that people are appreciating what we're doing helps us continue with the work that we're doing. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.